Motorcycle Man. If you have a need for new and exciting products, Zero3D.com takes a clean slate approach to design and manufacturing. Zero3D.com features a wide variety of innovative products for the Harley Touring Market and other Harley Big Twins such as the Softail and Trike models. Zero3D's product line includes parts for performance, comfort, and lighting. You'll be getting components of great quality and are affordable for the rider. Because we are riders, we have a passion for design and innovation and there's always something new to see at Zero3D.com. All of our products offer easy installation. With the proper tools and a little experience, you'll be able to get a part or accessory from Zero3D on the bike with no welding, grinding, or cutting. At Zero3D, we also have a design team with over 40 years of experience. And because our story is deeply tied to motorcycles, we offer great customer service when you need it. And Zero3D's design team is at all the big rallies where we are talking to riders and are working with riders face-to-face. Zero3D products are distributed in the United States by Drag Specialties, in Europe by Parts Europe and Zodiac, and in Asia by Twin Art. Check at your local Harley dealer and ask for Zero Parts. Visit Zero3D.com or call us at 715-808-0027 if you have any questions about any Zero3D.com product. Design is the landscape of the mind, where innovation dwells. We are Zero, zero 3D.com. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Motorcycle Men podcast. This is episode 103, and I am Ted, your host here in the corner booth at the Vintwin Cafe. Uh, I've got some great stuff going on today. This is a wonderful Motorcycle Men interview episode, and thank you for tuning in and listening to the show, and of course, all of Motorcycle Men episodes. Remember, 50% of all contributions and donations to the show go directly to VetRest, who's helping veterans with post-traumatic stress. We here at the Motorcycle Man Podcast give a crap about our veterans, so we do our part, and your help would be appreciated. You can go to MotorcycleMen.us and click on the subscribe button on our homepage if you'd like, or you can make a direct donation to via PayPal to motomenpc at gmail.com. Zero3D is your source for motorcycle accessories, comfort, and performance parts for your Harley-Davidson Touring model. they got a lot of great stuff over there, so be sure to check them out and tell them Motorcycle Men sent you. Check out their new lighting that they're showing off. It's great stuff. Now, ordinarily, when we think of motorcycle adventure movies or stories... The first thing that comes to mind are the films Long Way Round and Long Way Down with Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman. And there's also Ted Simon's Jupiter's Travels, books by Sam Manicom, Jeremy Craker, and others. All of these motorcycle adventures spark that curiosity in us and awaken our very own spirit of adventure. Well, very soon we will have another to add to that same list. And for this installment of the Motorcycle Men Interviews, I had the opportunity to speak to two gentlemen who are a part of a team of riders who will be doing an epic adventure of their own and making a film about it. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 103 of the Motorcycle Men podcast. Joining me tonight, all the way from where? Where are you? Estes Park, Colorado. Oh, okay. Older as well. All right. Uh, we have uh, Mr. Jake Hamby and Wayne Mitchell of the uh, from the uh, Where the Road Ends movie documentary, and they're going to tell us all about that movie. They're going to tell us about the journey and what they were up against. Um, gentlemen, welcome to the Motorcycle Men podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Great. Uh, so, tell you what, to start with, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the Where the Road Ends movie, uh, the mission, uh, and how long this whole thing's going to take. Well, um, we, we're going to start filming in November, and our plan is to travel from Alaska to Argentina uh, through the Darien Gap, which is something that, uh, you know, there's a 100-mile section of jungle between Panama and yeah. Colombia where there's no roads, and, and most travelers are familiar with either going around it by boat or uh, shipping their bikes and vehicles um, 
their bikes mainly by by airplane. So what we're going to try to do is travel through there by land, basically following Ed Culberson's route. Um, he was really kind of the first to uh, travel the entire Pan American Highway. And so we're going to try to recreate that route for the most part, but do it in one continuous trip. So, All right. Uh, and as a part of that process, we're um, making a documentary of it. Wow. All right. Uh, Jake, you want to add anything to that? Uh, yeah, I mean, so while the actual trip and the kind of principal filming starts in November, that's when the team steps off. Um, you know, really, we're, we're trying to document the whole process. And yeah. what makes this a little bit unique is if you look at most documentaries uh, or motorcycle adventures, they fall into two categories. It's either, you know, it's somewhat not secretive, but not really promoted until the documentary is finished and then right. it's put out there for everyone to consume. Yeah. Or it's more of just like a social media YouTuber type of vlog or vlog thing where, you know, people are kind of documenting as they go. We're trying to combine those two concepts and really show the whole process of, you know, fundraising for both the expedition and the film and, you know, really from beginning to end. So we have started filming. We have started documenting to tell that entire story from beginning to end. All right. Uh, well, why don't you guys tell us what your individual roles are within the making of this? Well, so we have four team members that will be on uh, motorcycles, and then we have two team members um, or three team members that are going to be following us in uh, in um, a van. That'll be mostly the support um, video crew. And um, we have a, a team mechanic, uh, Mike Eastham, uh, who I worked with in Mongolia and uh, Iraq. And then we have Rich Doring, uh, who's helping us out doing uh, logistics and planning. And then um, Simon Edwards, who's a land speed record holder at Bonneville and an um, avid uh, racer in the Mexican 1000. Um, he's our team medic. He has a former Special Forces um, medic who now works as a physician's assistant. He's going along as our team medic. And then uh, myself, I'm primarily the expedition leader, I guess you could say, and, mm -hmm. and also doing the um, kind of fill in the producer role. For right. the documentary. And then uh, Jake can kind of tell you a little bit about them. So Wayne and I are kind of, uh, we're partners on the business end. So we created a 50-50 LLC between us to do this project. So, you know, that's where kind of all the gear and funding is kind of running through. All right. So everyone kind of wears dual hats, whereas, you know, here while we're in pre-production, we're both kind of handling the business end of things on the expedition. Like he's, Wayne is also a rider. Um, whereas I'm the, the full-time videographer in the support vehicle. Um, so everyone kind of wears dual hats like that. Like you just mentioned, Simon is our, um, you know, he's a rider, but he is also, you know, he's a physician's assistant here in Colorado. He's, right. you know, okay. very qualified to be our uh, medical expert on the team. Yeah. And then we also have a still photographer, uh, Alex Mann, who is a um, former Special Forces combo guy turned photographer. So he'll be riding along with us, uh, or not riding, but he'll be along wow. taking still photos and things like that. Well, I haven't been keeping track. So untold, how many, uh, how big is the staff on this whole, on the trip itself? Seven people yeah. uh, enduring through the whole trip. And then we'll have some rotational personnel on key portions. We'll bring in an additional videographer, that type of thing. So you guys are going to be making a lot of people miserable for, <laughs> for a few months, right? That's the plan, as many as possible. All right. Now, how long ago? Well, how long ago did you start planning this? Um, well, it depends who you ask. Uh, uh, you know, Mike Mike Eastham and I started talking about this in in two thousand four when we were both deployed to Iraq. Um, I was his platoon leader, and he was one of my squad leaders. So we had conversations about that, and then a few years later. He and I deployed to Mongolia together, and uh, we were actually goofing around on a, an old Ural, Russian-made Ural motorcycle. And we started talking about, you know, if we did the Darien Gap in one trip, we should take Urals because, you know, we can get them through the Arctic. And it became, you know, pretty clear that that wasn't a real good choice. to. <laughs> no. Uh, well, what made you think that? Yeah. <laughs> so um, we've been talking about it for a long time, but I don't think we really started – planning it really heavily until 2015 when Mike retired from the army right. um, and his free time became a lot more um, 
uh, abundant, I guess you could say. But so, at what point did you realize this was actually a serious thought? When we met Jake, <laughs> <laughs> we, we were. Um, That's his fault. So Jake is half of our age. Um, most of the guys on the team are forty-five to fifty-five. Right. And um, I met Jake through uh, organization the nine eighty second combat camera company, which is an airborne um, uh, unit in the military that we're all really familiar with. And so I met Jake kind of through social media that way. And and as soon as we found a twenty three year old kid that rode a KLR and, and wanted to make a motorcycle movie, we were like, well, let's do it now. You know, it's wow. The you know it's it's it was his dream and it just kind of caught on as became sort of all of our dreams to make a motorcycle movie. So that was the be- early 2015 when we first connected and started working on it. And then uh, November 2015 is where we all kind of came together and created a pitch video, um, which we used to take the sponsors and kind of get our, our right. seed money, and stuff like that. So the whole team is made up of veterans pretty much, right? That's correct. Now the, the riders, the, the there's four, there's going to be four riders on this, correct? correct? Now all these guys are all veterans, right? Okay. Yes. Uh, well, who are they? And, 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 and excuse me if you've already said their names, but let's nail that down. The four riders. And, and then I want you to tell me what was the, I, the real inspiration behind this. I know you just, something you just decided to do, but go ahead with that. So we have, uh, the four riders are Wayne Mitchell, who's right here. He's right. operations lead. We have Mike Eastham, who served with, uh, Wayne in Iraq. Uh, he's the mechanic. Uh, we have Simon Edwards, who is the physician's assistant and our medic. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also land speed record holder. All right. Um, and our fourth rider is Richard Doring, who also served with Mike and Wayne in Iraq. Okay. All right. And wow. Then, yeah, and then so we, uh, and then of course we have um, Jake Hamby, uh, who's our lead videographer, and uh, Alex Mann. They're both members of the. 982nd Combat Camera Company. We're all, you know, we kind of have that common bond of being um, paratroopers. And um, I think to answer your question about the inspiration, um, you know, we're we're all, first and foremost, we're all motorcycle lovers, but we're also all, you know, fans of of movies and documentaries. Oh, yeah. So we have a lot of inspirations in them. Um, You know, uh, Dust to Glory, long way around, you know, those, of course. We, we've all, we've all watched those movies and, and use them as inspiration for the different rides that we've gone on. And, um, most of us, uh, up until about four or five years ago, most of us are actually, you know, like street riders, you know, <laughs> so, uh, except for Simon who has a lot of off-road chops. Um, the rest of us are mostly street riders. So I've been picking oh. up some, a little bit of experience on dirt okay. and, uh, Mike and, and Rich, they live up in Alaska, so they have a very short riding season, but they're they're wow. working on their off-road, off-road riding skills. So it's uh, that'll be a that'll be a big challenge for us, I think. Yeah. It's well, how, what very, kind of what kind of training are you doing for this? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we've been riding a little bit. Uh, we, you know, we've so far we're on. Um, we've been training on the KLRs a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Rich just actually picked his bike up and. Colorado and rode it up to Alaska. Uh, he lives in Fairbanks, and um, Mike lives in it, n- right near Anchorage, but uh-huh. uh, works kind of remotely. So, um, you know, it's we went down to Panama in January to kind of recon part of the route and did a little bit of off-road riding with uh, some local bikes that we borrowed. And, um, but yeah, it's it's challenging having the team spread out over a six thousand mile spread. It's, yeah, it's tough to get everybody together to train. Wow. Now, of all the bikes that are available out there uh, that are capable to do this kind of a trip, tell us about the bike that you picked and why. Well, we're still, um, you know, there's a lot of debate about which bikes to use. And um, we've tested out the, we gravitated toward the, the Kawasaki KLR because you know, it's a pretty versatile bike. It's a pretty easy bike to fix in just about any country. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little on the heavier side. And, and we have really essentially two cha- – there's two challenges to going through the Darien Gap and in, in doing the two continents in a continuous trip, and that's really the weather. 
conditions. So to get through the Darien Gap, you have to go through in January, which is the dry season. All right. The jungle's pretty much impassable when it's rainy. Um, which is the rest of the year. Yeah. <laughs> so if you kind of backward plan from that January timeline, you're going through Alaska in November, December. Yeah, that's not going to be fun. No, it's a huge challenge. So the the KLR, um, we built sidecars for uh, the KLR to use up in Alaska. And, and if you kind of think of that as a sort of like an outrigger on a canoe. Sure. Gives you a little bit more stability, keeps you right. from falling around the ice all the time. Gives you some more storage space for cold weather gear. Oh. Um, and so, you know, that the advantage to having a KLR is it's a ninety ninety five percent of the of the trip will be on the highway. A bigger bike will be a little bit better. But there's that five percent in the middle where you're on the in the dairy and with a heavy bike and you know, maybe it may not be ideal for that section, but, it, right. you know, and then of course, you know, the standardization of having all four bikes the same. And, all right. Now, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say another huge thing with the KLR for a bike in its class is uh, having a carbureted system because, you know, there's going to be multiple times where we have to load the bikes basically onto what's literally a dugout canoe with, you know, no kind of keel and just a, you know, an engine strapped to the back of boat motor. And, uh, you know, we went down and rode around in those when we were reconning, and those things have a very high, uh, you know, <clears throat> they tip over very easily. So there's a very <laughs> high possibility that we will drop one or all of the motorcycles in the drink at some point and have to winch them out and get them running again. And, you know, having a carbureted bike, I mean, you know, someone who's familiar with a KLR has done it before, you can, you know, you can clear it out in 20 minutes be running again. So right. That's oh. not going to happen Africa Twin. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Africa Twin weighs a few pounds more, too. Uh, now, tell us about this sidecar. Uh, you're obviously going. You said you're going to be using it through Alaska. Is that how far is that sidecar going to go? Uh, well, so the sidecars were um, actually Freedom sidecars uh, out of New England helped us out with the subframe assembly. They sent us kind of a template to use, right? And um, we built the subframe assembly ourselves and then fabricated the sidecar. Um, uh, Simon Edwards and Dave Edwards, uh, both, um, they fabricated it out of their shop um, here in Colorado. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we tested out the prototype and then we built three identical um, sidecars. They're, they're pretty... They're pretty simple. Um, they have a torsion axle, uh, just a basically a plate that we mount um, a cargo box on top of. Mm -hmm. For those familiar, a torsion axle is basically what you find on a trailer. So it yeah. means we have right. tires that you can replace or uh, fix just by going to Walmart versus a moves like a shop. Well, that yeah. would be the one that you have on your website that, I, that I'm looking at. Yeah, right. yeah, and all four, and all four of those are identical, um, you know, interchangeable parts. And they're, the torsion axle we did, we just bought it from uh, parts online and, right. and got, bought the, the, uh, the wheels and rims at, at Walmart. So, um, and the idea is that, that that sidecar will go from Dead Horse, Alaska to um, uh, Portland, Oregon, and then we'll drop the sidecars in Oregon and uh, continue on. Oh, okay. So that, that'll make the rest of the trip a little bit easier. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever ridden a sidecar, but it's no. every every corner is like wrestling with a gorilla. <laughs> they're not they're not fun. I mean, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's you know smooth running sidecars, but um, it's really fun for about five minutes. <laughs> yeah. You try to turn right. Well, you guys are going to have a lot of weight on these things too in the beginning. Um the the sidecar itself weighs about 300 pounds. Wow. Um and uh, with, you know, fully loaded. So, right. Yeah, it's three or 400 pounds. Total. Wow, so that's going to do terrible things to your gas mileage. Yeah, yeah. Well, so we have, uh, and we'll be running studded tires, of course, but we have, um, we've put uh, Denali lights on the sidecar, so we have a little bit of extra lighting up in Alaska. Mm -hmm. We've also got a winch system on the front Yeah, there. I see that, yeah. Yeah, and then we have a battery um, box behind the cargo box, that is completely separate system so that we can, um, you know, charge it up at night and, and run extra lighting and, and heated gear and stuff like that off the bike. Wow. Just, 
transportation. And the problem with traveling through Alaska in November, you know, we're starting 350 something miles north of the Arctic Circle. So the weather is extremely wow. predictable in November. It could be 25 above mm-hmm. and sunny, or it could be 25 below and blizzard and miserable. Yeah. Wow. So there's always a possibility you're getting stuck too, of course. Yeah, and we planned for that. We've 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 built uh, a couple extra days. So okay. In you, the uh, in the plan for that, yeah. Now you started to say something, Jake. Well, yeah, I was just gonna say the other big threat up there that you don't really think about is uh, on the Dalton Highway. You have a lot of um, mountain passes that are you know single lane that these huge truckers are going through and they're oh. communicating. CB radio saying, hey, I'm about to come through. And the guys on the other side are like, okay, come on through. It's clear, right? Well, if you're just yeah. a little motorcycle, you know. You don't know. You don't know that. And then even if it is two lane, you hit a patch of ice and lay down, you know, on the inco- an incoming truck like that. Yeah. That's, a, that's a bad day. Wow. Um, so the sidecars are a way to mitigate that. And then our support vehicle will also have a CB radio. And we actually have a, a guide for that region. Um, who uh, a lady we know who is very familiar with that route. She's been driving it for 20 years and will be on the, oh, okay. on the seat, communicating with truckers right. uh, for us along the way. So, well, your support crew, you see the support. Uh, now they're going to be driving in cars or uh, SUVs with you on this trip, correct? We <laughs> oh, we a chuckle. A, <laughs> yeah, we actually have um, uh, our primary sponsor, um, Gerber gear out of Portland, Oregon. Um, it was just kind of a happy coincidence. We were meeting with them and we kept talking about a support vehicle and, uh, we were walking through the parking lot and they kept saying, you should take the black four. And we couldn't figure out what they were talking about until we came around the corner and we saw this gigantic, uh, E three fifty van. Wow. That they built. <laughs> uh, it's got a four by four kit on it. It's, it's like 12 feet tall and it's oh my a, God. it's a beast. It's got, steer horns on the front and um and and so they had been using it to shuttle people back and forth from the airport so they were like we you know it's built for off-road we got to take it with us and so we were lucky enough to get them to um to loan us that truck for the expedition so we're gonna use that as our support vehicle (laughs) is that gonna is that gonna follow you all the way down to argentina yes it wow Gap. We'll ship it around the gap. Then. Oh wow! So, well, speaking of the, the route, why, why don't you tell us about the route and how much research you went that went into planning this? Uh, so, <laughs> we're uh, we're actually not planning. Uh, we're kind of planning it in stages, right? So, right. our hard date uh, is the dry season for the Darien Gap. So, we have to be there by January first. We have to be in Panama. So additionally, we've all kind of, you know, we've all kind of seen the United States. A lot of us have ridden through Canada. So we're not really worried about kind of taking our time and enjoying it, especially since it's going to be super cold and not really that much fun riding. Right. So it's really kind of, you know, balls to the walls, get down to, you know, Panama. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, yeah, we are. We are. Baja is kind of the first break we get. Everyone kind of wants to go through there. Um, I think only our one rider, Simon, has actually ridden Baja before. So um, we're really just trying to get down to the warm southern sun as much as possible, as quickly right. as possible. Um, Baja will kind of be our break. We'll, we'll get to play around, do some cool filming out there, and then uh, get through Mexico as quickly as possible right. to hit that, you know, get down to Panama and hit that, you know, first. So you'll be, gl- you'll be glad to hit California because you know it's getting warmer then. Yeah. yeah especially <laughs> southern California. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the, the goal is to spend, I mean, we, we haven't, um, we've sat down with a couple of folks that we know in Central and South America and sort of planned some routes out. But um, a lot of that kind of depends on, um, uh, you know, we're, we're, pre- we're staying pretty flexible. Um, we plan to spend four or five days in Baja riding um, down, the, down the peninsula ferry over to mainland Mexico. We'd like to go up into the Yactan mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, I studied archaeology in college. That was my major. So I'd like to hit some of the older portions of Mexico and then kind of work our way down to, to Panama, like Jake said, for that kind of that January 1st timeline. Mm-hmm. 
and then it's it's not really until we get into Columbia that we really start, you know, zigzagging and really kind of um, we're going to go down into Peru. We've we've met some folks online, um, some muscle car guys in uh, in Peru and Lima that want to link up with us. And then none of us have been. I've traveled in in Colombia, but I've uh, never been on a motorcycle in Colombia. So we're all sort of really looking forward to um, uh, Chile and Argentina and um, Patagonia as kind of our prize for all the hard work getting through the Darien. So. Right. Now you're going to be making your way all the way down to Tierra del Fuego, correct? That's that's the plan, yeah. That's the plan. Uh, and you're, it's going to be 19,000 miles. Is that exact or give or take a thousand or two? It's, yeah, I mean, it's an estimate. De- definitely give or take considering we'll zigzag here and there. Yeah. But uh, kind of our preliminary route that we'll mostly stick to is around 19,000 miles. All right. Uh, are you expecting... I mean, I, I mean well, how, what experience do you have with that part of South America? Um, well, yeah, like I said, you know, it's um, kind of everybody on the team has had some experience either in Central or South America, uh, either in the military yeah. or um, traveling privately. So it's I don't think any of us speak really great Spanish. <laughs> OK, functional Spanish. And my um, my wife's actually Colombian, so my brother-in-law is going to be um, uh, traveling with us through the Darien Gap as a as a translator. Um, so we, I mean, we have we have experience traveling and and working in the area. Okay. I mean, so it's you know, but it's kind of some of it's dated. I think uh, <laughs> uh, Mike was stationed in Panama in the eighties when he wow. <laughs> so yeah. it's okay. A while since we've been in the tropical environment. A lot of like I grew up in Alaska, so I do a much. Oh better dear! Wow. Now, <laughs> well, so, well I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say that kind of got breezed over before, but uh, three out of the four riders uh, were all Alaska National Guard paratroopers. So oh, okay. Jumping used to jumping into you know those negative twenty, negative forty temperatures and camping out in the bush for a while. So. I don't have that experience. I'm definitely kind of leaning <laughs> on, on their expertise in that area to make sure I don't, I don't freeze any body parts off. Too bad. <laughs> well, <that's hard. laughs> well you, you, you know the military guys are going to give you a hard time out there. You know that. Yeah. Yes, yeah, a little yeah. bit. Well, so, tell, well, tell us about the route. I mean, how much pl- you're planning into this? Did you, did you spend time hovering over maps and actually let's go this way kind of a thing? Well, actually, when we did our, our Panama recon, um, we went down to Panama for about a week, and uh, we were staying at, when we first got there, um, it was basically an entire day. Uh, the four team members were hovered around, uh, uh, what's the National, yeah, National, National Geographic okay. maps, yeah. which don't have a ton of detail. Yeah. So no. you're just kind of circling areas, and you're like, yeah. oh, this looks cool. And then we ran into a, a, a kid from New York who was going the other direction and, and um, he had been through central America. He was Colombian, um, but was living in New York and, and um, we started picking his brain for like really cool spots. And, yeah. and it's, it's amazing because you just, uh, before we, before we sat down, we were like, okay guys, you know, send me an email about all the places that you want to see on the trip. And everybody has their, you know, like I've got the ruins, some of the ruins in Mexico mm-hmm. And in Peru, you know, Machu Picchu and, right. and well, that'll be uh, awesome, you know, just all those different places. And it's, it's kind of amazing how, you know, you just everybody gets what they want and the route sort of emerges, you know, and, and right. um, it's like you just play connect the dots on the roadways. And part of that, I think, is going to be the fun of it is, you know, you know, as well as I do, just because you connect the dots on a <laughs> National Geographic map. Yeah, you know, you actually get on the road, you have no idea what it's going to look like, you know. So, I mean, do do you do you expect to hit those places like Machu Picchu? Do you expect to hit those? I hope so. You mean like actually get there? Yeah, (laughs) I mean, I mean, because I mean, you're hoping actually go to Machu Picchu. That's obviously a hike. You're not going to be taking the bikes up there, but it sounds like like a a wish list of places you'd love to stop while you're on the way. Yeah, I think we'll. I think we'll probably hit. 
quite a number of them. I oh, don't good, we'll hit them. good. It, it, we won't hit them all. You know, it'll all be kind of de- time dependent. The good thing about, you know, traveling with these guys, you know, one of the nice things about traveling with the guys that we're traveling with, not just, you know, the military experience, but they're the kind of travelers that are, you know, we sit down and make a plan. If we have to adjust the plan, nobody gets too, right. too irritated about adjustments to the plan. And we just, you know, we all travel really, we all know each other. We've all been working together for two years and we just, you know, get along really well. All right. Uh, getting back to the Darien Gap, uh, you know, reading from your website, the Darien Gap is a 100-mile swath of jungle and the only break in 19,000 miles from Alaska to Argentina. No roads, no bridges, uh, untamed jungle. Now, while most have traveled around uh, north to south route, have gone around that and bypassed that completely, you guys have decided that you're not going to. Tell us about that. Why? Well, I, I think we've all, the one thing we all have in common is at some point in our lives, we read like about this place called the Darien Gap when we were researching traveling. And we're like, wait a second, you can't drive through there? We, we got to go there. So I, I know <laughs> we've all kind of had those experiences well before, mine was well before I met Wayne. Right. And I more research and i was like oh wow that's probably not something i can do by myself and i kind of you know put a pin in it um i think we all kind of have that in common to an extent just it's one of the right. the last on truly unexplored places i mean if you go on youtube and you type in dairy gap you get all, all sorts of hits but it's all people on a boat in the atlantic or pacific taking cell phone video of the coast and saying look i went through the dairy gap well no <laughs> you didn't <laughs> Looking at the coast of, of the Darien Gap. And I know um, Outside Magazine did send a team of journalists. Um, I think the article was titled uh, The Most Dangerous Jungle in the World. That was last year. And they did a, wrote an article and also published a video. And that's some of the only footage you can find. Uh, really? Showing, it, it, it's really interesting. It actually documents uh, all the, the refugees that are basically coming. Um, they'll they'll they can, they'll go in southern South America countries that have very lax visa laws, and then they'll you know travel by foot north to try to get to America. So, um, wow. Yeah, and you know people have people have gone through the Darien Gap by motorcycle. Ed Culberson, uh, Helge Peterson, Antonio Braga. They 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 were the pioneers, right? They went through the Darien Gap, you know, long before there was the FARC, and long before there was uh, it was as dangerous as it is. Well, I mean, it was still dangerous. But, you know, they went through and and actually they had a much tougher time because um, the road to Yavisa uh, wasn't paved like it is now. So it was, but, a, it was 200 miles instead of 100 yeah, miles. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a true 100 miles of jungle trekking. Wow. So, but, you know, the, but the thing is, there's only a few photographs. There's no real video. Yeah. And it's an amazing feat to get motorcycles through there. And, and so... It's, you know, Helge Peterson and Antonio Braga and, and, you know, reading Ed Culberson's book, Obsessions Die Hard, you know, it's it's like any adventure story. You know, you read it and you're just like, man, I got to do that. You know? Yeah. Like, like, like if I'm going to drive, if I'm going to take a motorcycle from Alaska to Argentina, like I can't go around the Darien Gap. No. You know what I mean? Um, you know, so it's that, that was, it's that old story is like when somebody tells you you can't do something, it's more reason to try to do it. Yeah, exactly. All right. And we've had a lot of people tell us we can't do it. Right. I, I, first, I first learned about the Darien Gap in, in uh, uh, back in 94 or 95. I actually was at a party with uh, uh, a guy named Tim Steigen, who was the youngest member of the 1978 Jeep expedition that went through there. Really? Took, Ooh. Yeah, they took Jeeps. And actually, there's a great uh, little short video called uh, Expedition Expedition de los Americas, where they actually had a, ca- a camera with them, and they took some video footage. But they took, I think, four or five Jeep AMCs um, through there in the, in the 70s. And, and um, it was I mean, it was really cool. But he told me the story, and I was like, what you know like wow literally just made a made a road through there and uh, he was 19 at the time and uh so it's just you know it's a it's a fascinating place that most people 95 percent of the people don't even know that there's no road you know that they just see it on a map and go well obviously you can drive to south america right wow you would think 
now, one of the questions that I have uh, people asking when I when I told them I was interviewing you, and I interview a lot of people who have done uh, trips from you know Africa through South America, and one of the things that always pops up is safety and security. Uh, so I'm going to ask you guys the same question: Is security going to be an issue? And I'm sure there's must be uh, safety and health concerns. Well, as far as uh, security, um, as it relates to armed groups such as the FARC, um, on the Panamanian side of the Darien, it's not really an issue because uh, the Panamanian security forces, uh, they're called Centerfront, they are just, you know, super switched on. Um, they have uh, incredibly good enforcement, um, and they actually, our military routinely works with them. There's uh, my, uh, I know multiple units that have done operations down there, uh, working with the center front. So, um, pretty, they're pretty active. They're yeah. highly Good. active, very well trained. Uh, it's a very, very safe area. In fact, there's, um, a lot of, uh, European and East Asian tourists, uh, birders, uh, who go out to see birds and stuff. They'll actually charter dugout canoes and go partially into the Darien. Um, and these are just, you know, regular people, not really adventure seekers. They All just right. are obscure places to see obscure birds. Okay. Uh, so the Panamanian side is fairly safe. Um, on the Colombian side, um, the kind of the biggest thing is the FARC. That's kind of their territory. Um, and now if you've been out, there's been a whole uh, deal uh, with the Colombian government and the FARC. Uh, who, if you don't know the FARC or the, you know, Colombian communist revolutionaries that have been fighting for quite some time down there um so recently because like the the young FARC members are like why are we doing this anymore so they've been kind of working with the government <laughs> but you still have some some hard hardline uh revolutionaries a lot of the older guys are still kind of holding on and yeah uh, and they have made great strides but it definitely has it's a little less stable than it was uh when the FARC just kind of controlled all their territory right um but we actually are are working. Uh, the best way to do it is just work with them. So you know, we have a, a contact uh, on the Colombian side, and we'll be working. Well, working, yeah, working with you know local people that live there and, sure. and local guides, and and then speed is kind of our. You know, we want to get through as quickly as we can. Oh, of course, yes. Not not disrupt the balance and not be in anybody's way and. And have, there is definitely an element of strength in numbers. I mean, if you're a single guy, it's a much greater risk than if you have, you know, eight people plus. We'll have probably five hired locals with us at any given time in addition to our 17 members plus our local guide plus yeah. our transit. So it's, it'll be quite a quite an entourage. And I have to imagine that you're going to be getting a uh, a plethora of all kinds of shots and inoculations before you head down there. Well, the the good thing about being all former military is we've almost all. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've done it. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, really, we're just, you know, so the, there's a lot of problems. There's mosquitoes, there's spiders, snakes, mm-hmm. scorpions, poisonous frogs, all kinds of vegetation that's not healthy for you. Yeah. Uh, heat. And um, we uh, we obviously can't drink the water like the locals do. Right. So we have to treat the water. Um, food is not really too much of an issue. We, last time we were there, we ate you know ate the local food and, and it's cooked well. And um, so yeah, there's a lot of health concerns. And and the yeah, we are getting you know we're getting shots and yellow fever. And um, I think we've all pretty much decided that we're not going to do the malaria. Um, really. Pills. Yeah, we're just going to try and really, you know, sort of prevent, um, uh, try and prevent mosquito bites as much as possible. Well, that I'm I'm taking the malaria pills. It's a, <laughs> we've all, <laughs> it's a personal choice. We've, we've we've all taken them before and kind of take a you know there's about there's three different kind of uh, medications you can take. They um, all make me sick. Right. So, I don't so know. everyone on the team has taken them before and kind of knows how it affects them. I usually take um, Doxy and it doesn't affect me at all. So I'll, you know, it's cheap for me. So I'll get it, but it's a personal decision. All right. I was going to ask you guys about uh, about the, your motorcycle experience and uh, the adventure travel itself, but we kind of sort of covered that. I didn't know if you wanted to expand on that at all. Well, um, I, I mean, I used to ride dirt bikes when I was a kid, but then I got into street bikes and then got out of riding for about 20 years while I was in the 
in the army traveling around a lot um, and got back into it um, about about six years ago and um, did the I did uh, the longest ride I did was Key West, Florida to Dead Horse, Alaska. Wow, that's that's a, that's an intense ride. Wow. Yeah, well, that was while I was living in in Florida. I figured, well, it's a good time to go visit family and and then I did um, took a little bit of uh, uh, got some off road instruction up in North Carolina with some friends of mine. So um, and then and then of course Simon just got done racing the Mexican One Thousand. So. Um, he's kind of given us some pointers on, on off-road riding and, mm-hmm. uh, Jake is sort of self-taught and is sort of a self-taught <laughs> off-roader on a KLR. And if you see his KLR, you can tell that it, he was self-taught. It's a little thing. <laughs> so I, I am the KLR fanboy in the group. I'm the one that, you know, when I got involved with this project, I just started preaching the good news about this bike called the KLR. And yeah. Eventually, they ended up with them, and much to my satisfaction. Well, and if, if you know the history of the KLR, it, it served as a military bike for a lot, a number of years. You know, the Marines used a right. uh, decent version of the KLR. So, you know, it's got some military history, which we think is a pretty cool aspect of it. And I, I hear a lot of people using the KLR, and at first when I started hearing about the KLR, I was like, the what? You know, and the KLR, and then... The more I started hearing more and more about more people who were using that, it's an ugly ass bike for one, you know. But you know, <laughs> what you beauty is in the eye of the beholder. This is true. This is true. Uh, but I, I, you know, you know, you find something that works and you stick with it. Yeah, yeah. That's what I did. The uh, Key West to Alaska on a GS six fifty. Okay. And, um, they're nice bikes, but you know, I mean, I I got it home and went to change the spark plug and had to disassemble the whole bike. So kind of. <laughs> <laughs> every you know every bike has its advantages yeah. and disadvantages i mean you know so you just got to kind of you want a bike that you can fix with a screwdriver and a pair of pliers exactly right uh what what's some about the challenges that you guys are going to be facing what uh what kind of challenges do you expect to face and how have you prepared your team for whatever crops up in in regards specifically to the Darien or the whole the, the whole, whole thing Living with each other for five months. Would be it. <laughs> no, um, there you go. We all get along. We all get along pretty well. Um, one of the things I love about Rich and and Mike and Jake and um, and Simon is, you know, that nobody lets anything fester. You know, it's all right there on the surface. So, all right. Um, interpersonally, you know, getting along will will have some. It, you know, it'll have some rough edges, but uh, they all come right out. So th- that'll be entertaining. But um, I, I think the biggest, the first challenge we're going to face is obviously going through Alaska in the wintertime. Right. Yeah. Um, and then going through the Darien gap is, will be a physical challenge, but I think the biggest challenge we face right now is, is the Panamanian government. Really? Um, we talked about the Darien gap and we talked about Centerfront, <clears throat> excuse me. And they, p- politically speaking, they are really hesitant to allow people to go through the Darien. So that's our biggest concern right now is that we're going to get turned back. You know, we're going to oh. get to Panama, get into the Darien, get up to Paya, which is the last village before you hit the true, you know, jungle where all the boats go away and you have to slog through the jungle. And we're concerned right. that, you know, they may present uh, problems for us. Well, so, and we reconned up to that point. Uh, so we have been about halfway through the Darien up to that town of Paya. And, um, we have multiple contingency plans um, to get through there, mm-hmm. even if uh, you know we have problems with the center front. On paper, on paper, a co- the official Panamanian government policy is that the Darien is open as of 2012. All right, anyone to go through there. What it comes down to is it's bad press if an American goes in there and dies, right? So the don't die. Get the blame always has to get put on someone. So when you have you know the lowest military element, a squad element out in that final town of Paya, that guy does not want to be held responsible for the Americans he let go through, and then they you know got hurt, and now the tourism industry took a hit, you know because yeah, you know. yeah. So so it all comes down, and even like our own embassy, you know, we've been talking to the U.S. embassy. Um, and while they've been like very helpful and very supportive, they don't want to talk to us in any formal capacity because it could imply their tacit permission, which they don't want to do because it could, you know, <laughs> everyone wants to cover their ass is what it comes so to. So what he's saying is we have not officially spoken to anybody. Yeah. 
I will not confirm or deny that we should be So, so, so you couldn't answer. You couldn't answer the question. So they know you're coming. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, they may or may not know at yeah. time. Yeah, that's so. I mean, that's our biggest. That's our biggest challenge. And then the the other challenge we have, of course, is um, you're trying to make a. Uh, you know, on the documentary film side of it, um, the reason why there's not a lot of footage from the Darien is because it's difficult to carry cameras through there and yeah, I can imagine and all that stuff. So the the other challenge is you know funding and producing a feature length documentary uh, following four guys you know nineteen thousand miles when part of that is in extreme cold weather and the other part is in a really remote place like um, Panama, we don't have, you know, we're not famous actors and, and we don't have um, funding from big companies. We've got a couple of companies that are, that are trying to help us out, but they're not, you know, we don't have a big studio behind us or anything like that. So that's a, that's a challenge. I mean, making a good quality motorcycle movie is not easy. Yeah. I can imagine. Wow. Now it's outside of the Darien gap. And of course, Alaska, what do you expect to be the hardest part of the trip? Is it going to be border crossings? Is it going to be parts of Peru, parts of Argentina? I mean, I, I, I think it's going to be uh, – I'm not worried about South America um, because we have time on our side, right? If we have to – if something breaks and we have to take two weeks to fix it, whatever the challenge is with enough time mm-hmm. uh, between the team, we can overcome it. Um, we have, it's more on the, the Northern parts in Alaska, uh, and then leading up to, uh, Panama where we're on a tight time schedule and we have to deal with a lot of incremental uh, I weather. See, yeah. If something goes wrong, we don't have, you know, necessarily three weeks to sit there and deal with it. Um, I, and I think the biggest challenge is going to be the Arctic because, um, you know, if you have a motorcycle breakdown or even something as simple as somebody goes off the road and, and, you know, if you have you know, you you could have whiteout conditions. You oh yeah, and you could have an avalanche that shuts the road down for twelve hours. And like Jake said, that puts us behind time schedule. But when it's thirty or forty below, and you have, you know, if you're not inside a tent and you don't have a heat source, things go bad really quickly. Mm-hmm. You don't have time, you know. And it, so if something breaks on the bike, it's going to be extremely difficult to. Uh, um, you know your your hands go numb exposed mm-hmm. skin freezes um it, the bike dies and fluids start to thicken up wow your batteries can freeze your yeah. eyelids shut i mean if you have a small patch of exposed skin where wind's getting into your helmet you may not notice it for four hours and you <laughs> get get off the bike and you get inside and you've got a big patch of dead skin on the on the side of your neck. So ear falls um, off something. Yeah. So (laughs) I think the Arctic is going to be a challenge and it's, you know, like Jake said, we've all, we were all paratroopers in Alaska. We, we were working in that every day, but, um, you had to be very meticulous about everything that you did and you had to watch out for each other. And you lose a lot of that on a motorcycle because you're, you're exposed. You're out there. Yeah. And you're moving fast. Um, as a paratrooper, as soon as you stopped moving oh, forget in, it. in the Arctic, you had to be, you had to set your tent up and get out of the wind. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's just challenges like that, that, that on a motorcycle are just kind of compounded. Well, having, having spent two years in Iceland, I was, I was stationed there when I was in the Navy. So I can, I know what you're going to be going through as far as it goes for cold weather. I can, I understand it completely. But let's get into, you briefly mentioned tenting. How are you guys going to be handling your meals and your lodging? And are, are you going to be camping this whole thing? Jake's cooking. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not true. Um, no, he's a horrible cook. Uh, so um, we're going to end up camping quite a bit. Okay. Not because we're trying to be hardcore and say we didn't ever stay in a hotel, but because we're poor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it saves a lot so, of money. The, now, it, when you start in, in the Arctic, it's really a safety concern. We have to be prepared if we don't make, you know, if we don't make it from point A to point B because something breaks or right. inclement weather, we have to have the ability to hunker down and be oh, sure. self-sufficient. 
for you know as long as it takes to get things up and running again. Right. Um, so we're preferring we will try to make it. What well, I think the first town is Coldfoot. Is that correct? Yeah. The first, the, the first so the first 350 miles north of the Arctic Circle. So once you leave Fairbanks, um, you the, the towns just kind of run out, right? You have Coldfoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think. Out. Or I think you have um, Yukon Camp and then Coldfoot. Maybe it's the other way around, Coldfoot and Yukon Camp. Um, and then uh, – and they're open in the wintertime. And then you have a really long stretch till you get up to Dead Horse or, or Prudhoe Bay. Um, and our goal is the first night to leave Dead Horse, once we get all the equipment up north, to leave Dead Horse. And we expect that we'll make it about 200 or so miles to Attigan Pass. And there's a place there where um, they plow out uh, um, kind of a, a near an airfield there. So we'll camp out that first night. And, and we're using old school um, canvas tents. Okay. Uh, our, you know, um, stuff that we won't carry with us the entire time, but we'll carry just for the Arctic portion. So we'll pull in and we have an awning off the support vehicle that's enclosed. It's... Um, Made by, you might be familiar with them, Cascadia Vehicle Tents out of um, Bend, Oregon. I can't say uh, I have. Yeah, they're, they're, they make a, a, an overlanding tent. That, okay. Uh, and so we've got an awning off the side that we can use as a kind of an emergency garage. Right. Um, and if, you know, we, and so we'll be kind of setting up a quick uh, base camp. And then the next day, hopefully, we'll make it to um, Coldfoot which actually has like a garage and a gas station and stuff like that. All so, right. Um, and we'll so, kind of re- refit, check all the gear and everything. And and then and again, you know, it's November, so you never know what the weather is going to be like. It could be bad. It yeah. could be really good. You know? So you're expecting to cover all, quite a bit of ground from Prudhoe Bay down to uh, Attigan the first day. And yeah. then a little short trip, short, whatever, uh, to Coldfoot, right? Uh, and then from Coldfoot, you're going to be making your way into Fairbanks, you said. Correct. So uh, you're, you're going to try to cover a lot of mileage in one day in the snow and sleet and the freezing cold weather, right? Yeah, and, and that's and that's kind of um, – we don't you don't have a lot of options on the haul road in the wintertime. Um, like Jake said, there's a lot of commercial traffic going on. You just have to you have to do it. We have to get up early in the morning, and we'll be driving in the dark, and we'll get a little bit of daylight – Mm-hmm. And then it'll start again, and we're just gonna have to, yeah, we're gonna push pretty hard that first day. Yeah, set up camp, check the bikes, get a little bit of rest, and then push hard the second day into Coldfoot and kind of get you know thaw out a little bit. Now, when you said uh, when you said a little bit of daylight, because I am familiar with that whole six months of daylight, six months of dark thing. Uh, yes. When you when you say a little bit of daylight, how much a little daylight do you say? You mean? I think it's um, I think in November six hours. Six hours? We're looking at, yeah, six hours of daylight. I think maybe it's uh, a little little bit less. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I mean, wow. It's it's four to to six hours of daylight, somewhere around there. Yes, you're going to have to cover some mileage pretty quick. Yeah. Well, that's another good thing about the sidecars is because we have have lights mounted everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have a set of auxiliary lights on the KLR and a set of auxiliary lights on the sidecars. And I don't know if you've seen the 2017 KLRs. No, I have the, not. The main headlight high beams are pretty amazing. Really? I mean, it's, a, it's the nicest stock For, headlight by, by, I've by, ever seen. By KLR standards. No. <laughs> <laughs> by BMW standards. Like. <laughs> but uh, we actually have a whole separate battery system contained uh, on the sidecar to power the lights and winch and stuff wow. like that. Wow. That's, that's quite impressive, actually. <laughs> um, what's that? Okay. Well, if it holds up. Part of the problem is, you know, it's a 650 engine and it doesn't um, produce a lot of power. So things like, you know, we've got heated grips and and things like that, but um, we're kind of limited on that. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about that. You're going to be, as far as it goes for your gear, I, I assume you're going to be using heated gear on this. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit of heated jackets. And then, of course, you're going to have your, you got the heated grips. Um, how is, uh, well, again, that's a lot of stuff you're going to be having. Are you going to be removing any of this stuff as you get into warmer climates? Yeah, we'll leave a lot of it in, in uh, or some of it in Oregon. But, um, uh, you know, we'll, 
we'll carry carry some of it with us, but a lot of it will stay in in Oregon when we um, sort of downsize the sidecars. Yeah, I, I would hang on to that those heated grips. That's for sure. Now you're going to be doing some camping. Uh, now, how is that going to how is that going to fit with everything as you get into uh, Central and South America? Well, I think there's some countries that are a little more um, a little more uh, amicable to camping. Um, you know, we've got things like hammocks and stuff like that right. for the warmer climates. But we'll be hopefully camping in Mexico and and um, camping in a couple countries in Central America. Um, we've actually had just linked up with a lot of people that are following the project and are you know wanting us to you know get offering us places to stay and things mm. like that so again you're lodging you're going to be camping most of the time and that's going to be easy for you when you're in the warmer climates through the united states and mexico and of course obviously you're not going to be camping in the darien gap we hope but when you get into south america you're, you're probably going to be hooking up with some people and staying at their homes how is how are you going to be handling your meals well, you know, just to touch on that, um, when we're in the Darien Gap, it's going to be pretty much all, you know, sleeping under trees and, and stringing hammocks up Ooh. because that's the best way to... It's not, it's not a day-long trip. So. Yeah, it'll, it'll take us about, um, it'll take us probably, we're expecting it to take anywhere from 10 to 20 days to get No kidding, there. really? Yeah, because it's, it's, it's only about 20 miles um from one boat crossing to the other but the challenge is it's single track steep terrain um, muddy banks of river banks and things like that so in especially with the bigger bikes it'll be pretty slow moving um so that will all be you know camping in the jungle but the rest of the trip um you know we we basically have we have a 12 volt refrigerator um we have a you know Cook, cook stoves and, and pretty much your overland camping setup right with a canopy and unfortunately i will probably be doing most of the cooking uh, <laughs> you know when you when you travel long distances like that that's a really good way of saving money is oh sure buying off the local economy and rice egg beans you <laughs> plantains, know. plantains. Yeah. We, we ate a lot of right. plantain fish yeah wow and, uh, well, I mean, you're going to lose some weight, I guess. You can expect that. Jake doesn't have much to lose, but I got <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm bulking up in preparation so that I can cut when I'm in the. <laughs> you hope. I hope. Yeah. So, <laughs> you hope. So, the retired guys have a few pounds we can, we can stand to lose. But, yeah. Uh, so, what happens when you get uh, to the end in Argentina? We drive the bikes into the ocean and leave. <laughs> um, well, the the plan right now is to ship uh, ship everything back to the U.S. You know, shipping containers. And um, although uh, we have a uh, our support van drivers thinking about actually turning around and driving back north. With the wow! Vans. Oh, wow! That's that's kind of ambitious. We also have another plan where we disassemble the KLRs completely and send them back by U.S. Postal Service. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got to do that. <laughs> Over the course of about 10 years. <laughs> That's funny. Or just take a boat, you know, just just keep going, yeah. you know. Uh, so when do you hope this film is going to be released? So um, we'll complete filming in March uh, in- March hopefully is when we finish if we stick to our schedule. Um, then we'll go into post production for about uh, six to eight months, and yeah. uh, it'll be ready for the film festival circuit starting uh, with festival submissions kind of start like the October November time frame. So October November time frame we'll uh, start submitting to festivals. That's uh, in 2018, and uh, it'll be screened. Uh, end of 2018 going into 2019. All right. Now, let me ask you this question. What if you guys get a little behind schedule and you find yourself trapped in the Darien Gap and it starts to rain? Just keep swimming. <laughs> That's it. Just keep going, right? Yeah, we, we've actually planned uh, We planned it to be at the leading edge of the dry season. All right. So... Um, the dry season goes into February into a little bit of March. So, um, 
I don't anticipate that being a problem as much as, um, I mean, I think we'll get through that. But then the problem becomes you start getting really cold weather in South America. Right? Yeah, there, there is that. Not really cold weather, but it's the, you know, the weather starts going a little wonky on you down there. So, um, it's definitely a balance, but I think, I mean, I think we're pretty prepared for the weather conditions. We've built in about an extra 30 days. Um, if things like that happen. Well, when you guys get into Argentina, you get into some of the uh, mountain regions, and even when you're into, uh, uh, into Chile, uh, there's going to be some mountainous regions and some rough terrain. You're going to be going through, through that, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> all right on highway oh okay i hope not well you want some adventure right so how can people learn more about where the road ends well we have a website it's uh where the road ends moto.com and then of course we have a facebook page okay uh, and so most of our updates are through Facebook. That's kind of the most uh, intimate way because we're posting, you know, videos and photos as much as possible. Um, Instagram, if you're if you're more into just like seeing some photos, we're we're routinely updating our Instagram page. It's all the same handle where right. the road ends, Moto. Um, but you know, Facebook is kind of our our bread and butter at the moment. All right. Uh, are, are people going to be able to track you on this journey? Yeah, we'll we'll probably have some kind of tracking device up and running um, before we leave, and it'll. I'm not sure if it'll be a an in reach or a spot device or something like that, but we'll, right. we'll probably make that available. Great. Uh, um, go ahead. Follow us on Facebook, and and we'll be posting pretty regularly up, regular updates. All right. I guess I guess you're going to have satellite phones with you as well. <laughs> no. TBT, we gotta make sure we can put gas in the bikes first. That's kind of yeah. the, the that's true. Yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, we'll see. That's the, that's the hope. All right. Anything? Uh, any last comments or last things you want to say before we uh, end this? Uh, well, I'd like to say thanks for you know having us on. Sure. For um, and you know we we want to hear from people, especially people that have done the trip before. You know, send us photos and talk to us. Give us some. Um, advice and things, you know, places we should check out on the way because, um, you know, the riding community is just a really awesome group and awesome yeah. resources. So really appreciate all the support. And there, your all your contact information and all your sponsors and everything you need to know is on uh, wheretheroadendsmoto.com, and people can email you and get a hold of you that way, correct? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you very much for being on a Motorcycle Men podcast. Um, I will definitely keep track of you guys, and we're going to put that information up on our website, and we're going to talk about you from time to time. All right? Awesome. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to this episode 103 with Jake Hamby and Wayne Mitchell of the Where the Road Ends movie. So make sure you take some time to check them out and what they're doing at their website, which is wheretheroadendsmoto.com. They also have a Facebook page, so please check that out. Don't forget to check out our fellow podcasters whose links you'll find on our links page. All of these podcasts and many more out there do great things to promote and encourage our sport and passion. So please patronize them when you can. Also, look at our sponsors, Love Jugs. This is where you get to cool off your big twin with Love Jugs. That's love-jugs.com. And, of course, Zero 3D, providing you with quality accessories, comfort, and performance parts for your big twin Harley. All right? Zero 3D.com. Also, our friends at Euclid Digital. And get out there and check that out. Also, get your leather on with Surefire Designs, custom lids for your bagger. Sims Designs, your bike ain't cool until it's Sims Design cool. And, of course, get a hold of Dave Ackerman over at Tobacco Motorwear and get yourself some Kevlar Line jeans and their badass Kevlar Line California riding shirt. All right, so tune in next week when we go uh, up for our episode 104 when Larry from the Creative Writing Podcast will be joining us, and we're going to talk some crap. So it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, from Tim Buck to Chris the Joker and me, Ted, wrong way, your host. Thanks for listening to the Motorcycle Men Podcast. This has been Motorcycle Men Podcast, where we say stupid crap so you don't have to. Ride safer, kids. <laughs> <laughs>